Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode is brought to you by Short-Term Rental Listing Advice. Join this Facebook group and post your listing to get advice from other hosts, including myself, on how you can improve your listing. Or just post your property so you can show off. Join us at strlistingadvice.com. That's strlistingadvice.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Short Term Show. Today, we've got a really cool couple who I've known for a while, been aware of for a while. Our paths have crossed a lot. We run in the same circles, but have not had them on for some reason, probably because I'm lazy. Uh, (laughs) But I want to introduce Kim and Dave Minapace. They've got a cool portfolio in a part of the country that I'm not very familiar with. So I always love learning new things. But uh, hey guys, how's it going? It's good. It's good. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, can y'all first just tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into investing in short-term rentals? Sure. I'll take the lead here. So about five years ago, we were preparing to have our first kid and um, we always need a project to work on. So I was poking around Zillow in the middle of winter at beach properties in Cape Cod and thinking, oh, maybe we'll buy one in five years or so. That was our five-year plan. So I like to start prepping early and doing open houses and things like that and start feeling, tasting, seeing what you're dreaming of. And so we found this adorable cottage that said great rental history in the first line of the description. Uh, We decided to go see it. And uh, one thing led to another. We ended up buying that cute little cottage. And it was our first short-term rental um, and first rental and property we've ever done. So that was in 2019. And now, yeah, we're going to go into a Uh, It'll be five years this April that we've owned that property. So that's how we got started. We thought we'll use it for one week ourselves. We'll rent it the rest of the whole summer and that'll help cover its expenses and it'll be paid off by the time the mortgage is done, uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now. So that was our plan and it snowballed to be so much bigger than that. (laughs) What I remember about that day too, it was February, it was snowing outside, not a time you're thinking about the beach. Um, But they were having an open house and Kim and I said, why not? Let's drive down there and check it out. We were kind of tired of crashing on our friend's grandma's like kitchen floor when we were trying to have a vacation in, in Cape Cod. And so anyways, we do the tour of the house, all 463 square feet of it. So it was more of like a spin move than a tour <laughs> when we were mm-hmm. in it. And we sat back down in the car and I said to Kim, I said, what'd you think? And she was like, I think we should go for it. And she had never had that much conviction in, in anything related to something like this, especially in, 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 an investment. So it was a lot of fun. And that was really what started the snowball. That's awesome. It's always like one spouse is like, Oh, what do you think? And the other one's like, let's do it. And then you're kind of on the same page because I know at least with Luke and I, it's, if he doesn't want it, then he'll just say, I'm out, I'm out. And to the point where I'm like, if you say I'm out one more time, but if he does want it, he'll be like, what do you think? (laughs) So it's, it's always funny, funny the way those dynamics are. So, so let's, let's talk about this. 
Cape Cod. I'm not very familiar at all. Uh, I know I love New England. I've only been there a couple of times, but is that mostly a summer market? Do you get any like off season bookings? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly, mostly summer, you know, really things kind of start rolling around April and they will go until about mid end of October. There's still a lot of fall weddings and then the winter is, is really quiet. At least it has been since COVID. Okay. And let's talk about financing. So the way that you worded that kind of makes it sound like maybe financing was a little tight, like you weren't rolling out there looking for a big five bedroom. So let's talk about that. What did that look like? Yeah. So I think that um, we kind of had an interesting event happen in our lives where I was working at a tech company in Boston that went public the week of our wedding, actually. So that was a big week. Um, So we had some stock money that we just left in stocks and put away and pretended we didn't have it for a couple of years. So when this property presented itself, uh, we assumed we needed to put 20% down. We eventually learned we only needed to put 10% down because it was a vac- you know second home, vacation home loan. Um, but we didn't know that. So we went forward with 20% down and had this small nest egg that we had put aside saying we don't want to just use this and spend it and just throw it into our primary home. Let's just put it away and forget about it. And how how we want to use it will present itself later on. So um, yeah, we started small, small home. We have a pretty modest primary home now. Um, and then we've, we're trying to continue to grow our portfolio portfolio and, and the size of the properties that we own and manage from there. So what type of financing did you get on this thing? That second home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second home vacation home loan, but we, we did do 20% down. What was neat and what I think is really important, this ties into financing too, is that you got to figure out who you want to take advice from. We actually didn't tell, you know, we we're about 30 years old at the time when we got it and we purposely did not have the discussion with either set of our parents, none of them had invested in real estate. So instead we spoke with our financial advisor. Um, I was not a real estate agent then, um, but we spoke with our realtor who had several properties and somebody we trusted a lot. And the answer from all of them was overwhelmingly yes. Like you, you should buy this. This is a really great deal. And I think once you make the decision to to like go all in on something, you're gonna figure it out. Like we weren't saving that money to buy a home. We were just saving that money because we didn't want to waste it. And then once we got all the thumbs up, you know, thumb thumbs ups or what have you, we went all in on it, you know? And so I think we bought the house for 260K. It's probably worth about 500 now. Um, We did 20% down and you know, back then it was probably similar to when you started investing in the Smokies. You could get them furnished, do a couple different things, and you could find some success pretty easy. So um, we allowed luck to happen, if you will. <laughs> so that's kind of funny that you're, or not funny, cool that your financial advisor said to do this because most financial advisors don't don't ever recommend that you buy real estate. So I would like to hear where you found that person. Uh, this is a funny story. So um, it was actually uh, Dave's friend's parents' advisor. So he actually is retired now. We're on to a new financial advisor, but um, with the IPO and the stock money and tax implications and stuff, we decided to quickly get a financial advisor maybe seven years ago now. Um, And so uh, we had talked about long-term goals like starting a family, getting a vacation home, all those types of things. And they've given us great advice on... 
on different um, wills we should have in place and thinking about your um, your plan if, if uh, for your kids and guardianship and all that stuff. So it was really helpful having someone because you don't think to have these things on your radar. It's not something that we talk about with our parents. So um, they've been very helpful in a variety of ways, not just in uh, and and saving and investing and uh, being a you know someone to bounce these ideas off of and I was surprised he gave us the thumbs up and the green light and we were super excited we're like okay this isn't a totally crazy idea then uh, if we're getting a lot of nods and yeses um, from these folks that we trust and and really believe in. Another funny thing about that discussion. So picture this: he's a guy in his mid seventies. Um, he sits down at his computer, right? Which is not a relaxing state for someone in their mid seventies. They're kind of, <laughs> you know, what have you. And uh, he says to us, well, I have in here my notes that you wanted to do this in five years and it's only been two, but you have the money for it. And it seems like a really good deal. <laughs> so you should go for it. Um and we didn't tell our parents until either after we closed or at least after we got through the the due diligence period. And then they were excited for us as if like they would have been the whole time, which definitely would not have been the case. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like neither mine nor Luke's parents invested in real estate. We've gotten my parents too. They own one in the Smokies right now, but it's, Luke doesn't ever really tell his parents when we buy stuff because they, on our, when we bought our second one, they were like, you're going to go bankrupt. And they just don't understand. And, <laughs> you know, it's not their fault. It's that it's just a different generation. And this seems really, really risky to that generation. So I totally feel that, you know, let's just not tell the whole family until we make sure that we know what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we've sort of settled on this, not rule, but we're, we're very cautious of, you know, who inspires us and who doesn't. And it's not that we don't spend time with people that don't inspire us. It's just our goals might never align with what theirs were. And so we're, we're really careful and selective on, on the narrative that we share with people and, and based on how just we want our interactions to go with them. Do we want it to be stressful or do we want to be able to relax? And sometimes to relax, you don't have to tell the whole story. And I think to that point, it, it's the intentions are there, are for are there. It's for good. It's to watch out for you. It's to protect you, avoid pain, and not have you be in pain. So I think knowing that it helps and provides comfort. And then I also think that. I'm very well aware I come from two sides of nervous Nellies and I think I've gotten better, but I'm nowhere perfect. Dave can admit that. So um, for me, who's a pretty calculated risk averse person to have in my gut, I just had this intuition that we had to buy this house and I almost bailed on going to the open house. It was seven inches of snow on the ground and I'm like, no, we can't go. It's, you know, it's an hour and a half away. And Dave's like, no, we are going to this open house. We were the only ones that showed up. Um, and there was a couple more open houses and no one showed up to those. So it was kind of funny. It was just fate that it happened. But I think that knowing it's all well-intended, I come from two sides of, of all that, the nerves and trying to break out of that and um, make smart decisions, but also take risks because without that risk, you don't get the reward either. Totally, totally agree with that. And I really, I don't know why I just, I agree with everything you guys are saying. So maybe this is going to be a really boring episode, but I <laughs> am a big fan of like not announcing to the world what you're doing all the time because things happen, things can change. You can, you know, you just never know. So whether it's what you're going to buy or just really anything that you're planning to do, I always just kind of keep that 
close to my chest just for that reason. So um, yeah, we're, we're agreeing on everything here. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. So let's move on. What help, what all's in y'all's portfolio now? So we've talked about that first property. What led you to that? What's, what do we look like today? Yeah. Kim, you want go me to it. take this? Yeah. You can so from there, um, we started getting educated on different types of real estate investing outside of short-term rental. And we really want to try out these different disciplines and, and have some projects, if you will. So we spent a couple of years investing in other markets, doing the burst strategy, some long-term rental, just like regular buy and hold. Some, you know, we ended up selling some that we still have. Uh, that was really neat. It taught us a lot. It taught us a ton about financing. It taught us about partnerships. It taught us about getting creative to get deals done. And it, it exercised a part of our brain that we hadn't used in this industry yet. And I think it, it we learned a lot from it, right? So <clears throat> we did that. Right now, we still have three units that are long-term rentals, um, one with a partner of mine. After a few years of that, though, we both really, really got back to like, man, we really want another short-term rental. There's just something special about offering a vacation to people and seeing the joy that people have in your home. I've just, to me, there's nothing better than that. And so him and I sort of went back to the drawing board and we ended up buying another short-term rental, which we still own. And we bought that one up, up North in Maine. And that one definitely took us out of our comfort zone. It was much more expensive. It was more expensive than our primary home. There's a lot more variables when you start getting into these markets where you have all different types of weather and amenities like hot tubs and all sorts of things, right? A house that can sleep more people. And, but that, you know, just like the first one unlocked a side of us that got us really interested in more real estate investing, that property up in Maine really unlocked a lot of other business opportunities that we didn't really anticipate. And we can go into those in a little bit. So what we own right now, though, are those two short-term rentals and then uh, a duplex that's a long-term rental and then a single family home that's a long-term rental in terms of what we own. And then for co-hosting, Dave, we have another 13 properties that are live that we're co-host actively advertising, co-hosting for. And then there's a few others under contract where they're doing renovations or they're just a summer destination. So we haven't gone quite live with them yet. So um, that's grown yeah. substantially in the last year where we now have 15 properties that we're actively hosting on Airbnb. Yeah. Okay. So do you like your short terms or your long terms better? This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, candy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by eXp or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. If you like what you're hearing, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, you can join me on a live weekly call to talk about your next short-term rental or ask questions about the one you already have. 
I am live once per week on Zoom. I would love to have you come and say hello. It's strquestions.com. That's strquestions.com. Come and join us. Well, we'll see if we both have the same answer. I'll take a swing first. I definitely like short terms. Um, Mainly just because that sort of feels like the season we've been in for a few years now. And that's this co-hosting business. You know, in total, it's 20 houses under contract with us. And then some other side businesses off of that for consulting. It's at least what we've been leaning into to kind of make our living and our income and build build business and business systems around that. Um, that answer could change in the future. Who knows? But Kim, what's what's your answer? It's definitely short-term rentals, hands down for me. They're my favorite uh, asset class to be in because of the personal use part of it, the 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 use of your your guests enjoying it. And we've had people get engaged at a property. We've had people say, yeah, that, at our little cottage in a Cape few. Cod. Yeah. So um, that it's very cool to have those experiences shared and have that human element to it. And we just don't have that with long-term rentals. And I'll admit Dave doing the long-term rentals, he was doing that with a partner and I'm not involved at all with those. So um, with our, us in that time frame, um, we had a toddler, I was going through IVF treatment and stuff. And I just said, I had to say to him, Hey, I can't be involved with this. I fully support you. Like you, you taking out a heat lock and going and doing these burrs out of state. I think that it was just not something I was as interested in. And given the other stressors on my on me at the time, I just knew I, I had my limits. And so that was something we discussed. And then when we pivoted back to short-term rentals, it was fun to engage in designing the home, you know, going back to this property was uh, off market. It was for sale a couple of years ago when we didn't have the funds to actually buy it. And then lightning struck and we were able to buy it off this older, um, older couple that just thought it was too much house for them to handle. So hands down, it's the short-term rentals. It's a lot of fun. Um, you get to constantly upgrade them. You get to use them yourself. You get to have other people enjoy them because we unfortunately can't be on vacation 365 days a year as much as we'd want to be. So other people being able to enjoy them in the capacity that we like to enjoy them is just the next best thing to us. Yeah. 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 The All our long terms, they're like, they're great. They do what they need to do, but they're just not as fun as <laughs> short term. Short terms are just <laughs> fun. And it is really like, it, it's really easy to get caught up in the day to day of, you know, somebody sent us a picture of a hair that they found somewhere. It might be their own and they want a discount and all of that stuff. But it really, it makes it all worth it when somebody gets engaged at your place or, you know, they tell you some story about, you know, it was some very special vacation, you know, insert special thing here. And it really does make it worth it. It really does like matter to us as short-term rental owners and hosts when people are having a good time. And I think that it's important to keep that narrative at the forefront because, you know, on Facebook and stuff, a lot of us are always talking about, oh, well, this person did that. What do I do? And it's always negative. We don't always right. post. We don't always hear about everybody's positive stories. Just right. like, you know, people don't go on Yelp and leave positive reviews. They're more apt to go leave negative ones. So I think that's yeah. really important to, to remember is that these are people's vacations and it, and it is, it is rewarding to, to see other people happy in your place. Totally. And I mean, I don't know if this resonates with you too, Avery, but we love buying houses in areas that we really enjoy vacationing at. And so oh, yeah. when we think about, okay, number three, whenever that might be, I mean, we're looking in markets that we would want to go and spend time in. And 
I like having that emotional side to this type of investing. There is zero emotion in, in flipping houses and doing long-term rentals. For me, it was okay to allow this to be part of the narrative of the purchase and and the, the takedown of the deal, if you will. And I really enjoyed that side of it. I think it is important because if you don't like a place and want to visit it, it's going to come through in your marketing. You're When you're trying to market a place to somebody to to stay there, you people can tell whether you're genuine or not, or whether you're being like a greasy used car salesman about stuff. And, you know, if you just go buy in the cheapest place possible, because some data website said that it's has the highest returns, but it's some like shitty place that you don't want to go and nobody wants to go, which is probably why it's cheap, by the way. Um, (laughs) it, it, it just, it doesn't come across the same. So I totally agree. And I, fall victim to that all the time. Well, actually Luke falls victim to me doing that all the time because everywhere we go that I like, so we go on these big motorhome trips in the summertime. I'm like, oh, let's buy a house here. Let's buy a house here. Like I had us buying a house in Durango, Colorado. I've had us buying houses like all over the place. And he's like, please just stop doing this. And we never do rarely, but, uh, the last time I hooked, I did get him hooked into a contract. Um, this year, I won't say where it is because we might still buy there, but uh, and I don't want to blow it up. But uh, yeah, it, it didn't work. And he's just like, now he's PTSD, traumatized, doesn't want to do anything <laughs> else because I drug him through all that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. One of the one of the things that I really enjoy in our management company is, you know, we're we're very well aware each time an owner is going to use their home. And we just started doing this. And I think it's to me, I have a lot of fun with it. We'll give like our cleaner a budget and they'll, you know, of a, you know, maybe a hundred bucks or something like that. And they'll just like stock the house with like some beer, some wine, some champagne. They'll go get bagels or maybe even like pick up dinner and like put in or like dress the house up. And it makes it cool because then instead of an owner, this is like a little pro tip for anyone that's co-hosting out there, Rather than an owner just walking in at night with the lights off and already starting to be like, ah, is something broken? Did I miss something? They're just like, this is freaking awesome. I'm on vacation and now I feel like I'm on vacation because the house is like this. And, you know, the owners vacationing at their house, they're guests, they're our guests in that sense. And in a lot of ways, they're the most important guests, right? And so it's just kind of a fun thing we've done. And, uh, you know, I can't do that in a long-term rental. You know, and it's why I don't manage long-term rentals either. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, let's hear about all of your co-hosting places. So it, we've talked a lot since you said what was in your portfolio. Can you recap that? I know some short-terms and some long-terms, but let's talk about the short-terms. How many and where are they again? Yeah. Kim, want me to take it? So, uh, so starting with Cape Cod, we own a property there. And then we co-host right now, it's three others. So four total in that market. And they range okay. in size from two bedroom right next to the beach to like a six bedroom in an area that is like right near a ferry and you can still walk to a beach and downtown areas and stuff like that. Those heavy seasons are usually June through September with some additional traffic from like April, you know, the spring and the fall. Um Love those markets. They're a lot of fun. Our our heart is in Cape Cod. It's where we like vacationing the most. 
as you work your way outside of Cape Cod, you end up getting to um, like Southern Massachusetts. And we do have a beachfront property there, gorgeous five bedroom beachfront property there in a town called Situate. It's awesome because it's only a half hour outside of Boston. So it actually gets a huge year round pull and you get a lot of people that fly in from all over the world and then go rent that house because they can just rent a car and or take the train out there. Uh, in New York, we have one that we co-host uh, in Saratoga Springs, and that's been a really interesting market, a new market for us, really busy in the summer during horse race season, starting to investigate midterm rentals for sort of this bridge period outside of that. And then we kind of get up to Maine. In <laughs> Maine, we we own in one area, but co-host in three different areas. We co-host in Southern Coastal Maine, a gorgeous five-bedroom in Saco, Maine, then you go like four hours north to Sugarloaf, big ski area, a really gorgeous like ski in, ski out, luxury townhome there. The bulk of ours in Maine are, we own one in Bethel, Maine, right near Sunday River, which is, I think at this point, the biggest ski resort in the country. Um, and oh, really? Yeah. So it's eight mountains. It's owned by Boyne Resorts, who also owns mountains way out west. And they have something called the Icon Pass, where people can like go skiing at these different locations. And so it brings a huge crowd in the winter. So Sunday River is a really, really popular area. I consider it sort of like a mini Smokies. Now there's no Dollywood, but you're three hours north of Boston. You're four hours from New York. You're three hours from Montreal. Huge, like tons and tons of stuff to do out there really year round. So we own one. And then I think we co-host like eight others up in that market up a lot of, you know, several five bedrooms, some four bedrooms, usually they're a ski chalet. And then we do have this really cool geodesic dome that there's like two domes. And then one's like a full out bar and gaming dome, like game room type of thing. And then everyone hangs out in the other one, they're attached. And then the last one is this really gorgeous farmhouse in Trenton, Georgia, outside of Chattanooga, where we have some long-term rentals. Okay. And that one's really, really neat. It's, um, it's three bedroom or three or four bedroom. I can't remember, but it's on 300 acres. Oh, and wow. It's just dynamite views. Like there's the rolling hills, but then you have the mountains of like Lookout Mountain out in the distance. And oh, you're cool. still only like a half hour, 40 minutes from Chattanooga. So that one has been a workhorse for us, especially in seasons wow. where it's slower in New England. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's an eclectic portfolio. Mm -hmm. A lot of our focus right now goes into building up Cape Cod and Maine. Those are our two sort of primary areas. Yeah, okay. and it might seem random. I think that the two avatars we're dealing with are uh, our two vacation markets where there's people who are just vacation homeowners and that's their only property or they own a couple in that area and then investors. And that's how we got to those more random, it sounds like New York and Georgia. It was connection, personal connections with investors and some investors own in New York and Maine. And that's how we ended up getting that connection. So those are our two avatars we're dealing with. And then just a quick clarification on Sunday River, they have plans to double in size. So they will become the the biggest, I think, ski resort in, in the, the state but it's the biggest one in New England right now. So just wanted Got to it. clarify that. Yeah, they're they're working on developing it, which we found out after we bought and I think also makes it a desirable market as they're planning to expand it substantially. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Man, you guys have a cool portfolio. All that sounds really <laughs> cool. And I guess it's cool because I don't know anything about those places. So it's not, you know, the same same thing that I 
do every day. So that's really cool. Right. Kind of like you guys in your short-term rental, you and Luke, you know, we we do stick to areas that are primarily driving destinations. Um, you know, back when we heard your podcast on Bigger Pockets years ago, that was like one of the big inspirations for us to get back into short-term rentals. And then, you know, with that, it just sort of resonated because I think, you know, where you're at with the Smokies and in Florida, it's not too different from Cape Cod and Northwestern Maine. Um, and a lot of people that buy in those areas and want us to manage as well as vacation, they're coming from Boston, they're coming from New York City, Providence, Rhode Island, Montreal, places within a four hour, half a day's drive is usually what I say. And what's nice about these being these drive to vacation destinations is we're not dealing with the regulation and uh, that the urban markets are dealing with. So it's interesting when I go to conferences that aren't short-term rental specific and I tell them I'm an Airbnb co-host and owner, everyone's all doomsday and saying, oh, how's it? How's this market affecting you? I saw the Dallas headlines. I saw the New York crackdown on Airbnbs, but they, Cape Cod has been a drive-to vacation destination for a hundred years. Our house was built in 1930. And I think uh, when we read your book and you framed it out so nicely to the three kind of markets, the fly-to vacation destination, destinations, the urban kind of city markets, and then the, the regional drivable vacations, we realized, oh, that describes us. That's what we're really dealing with. And with that, there's also some um, accommodations you want to think about, like being dog friendly really helps because people are typically only driving a couple hours. Boarding a dog is expensive. So our little two bedroom cottage that's dog friendly is doing better than some of the bigger houses in the shoulder seasons because of that. So um, it's been very cool, but it was fun to read your book when we were already kind of deep into this and say, and understand some connections and think of some framing for a space we've already been operating in for a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much common sense, you know, <laughs> like let me buy in a place that everything is a short-term rental and always has been, and it's not a new thing in this place. So we don't really have to worry about a lot of the things that you have to worry about in places where it is new. So um, it's, I think a lot of us all came to that conclusion independently <laughs> because it is kind right. of just common sense. <laughs> but totally. um, yeah, thank you for reading the book. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I actually, and a plug for your book is you know, as a realtor. And when I was doing that side of the business a lot more, whenever somebody was thinking about getting into short-term rentals, almost like you, you need someone to be pre-approved before you're going to go help them buy a house. I'd, I'd like have sit people down and be like, read this, make sure you want to do it, then get your pre-approval and then we'll go buy you a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. So, well, so we're, we're wrapping up, we're coming to the end of the show and we've got three questions that we ask every single guest that comes on the show. And the first question is what advice would you give 20 year old Kim and Dave? All right. For me, um, I would say be curious and ask a lot of questions. I think that I didn't understand investing, but I didn't even understand kind of real estate and buying a home. I think my frame of reference was my family would buy a home and hold it for decades. And so my parents <laughs> bought my grandma's home from her and it was in Boston. It was a multifamily with the three car garage, which is incredible in Boston. And my grandma owned it, raised seven kids there. My parents bought it from her and that they had that for decades and decades in the family. And then my parents moved to a different primary home in the Burbs and that 
Um, they've held that for 25 years. So when I was that age and my mom said, oh, maybe you should think about buying a condo, you know, in your early 20s. I was like, I don't know where I want to live for the next 10 something years. Um, so, I, you know, I just didn't know anything about that. I was also nervous. Well, what if the heating goes? I don't know how I can afford that or how much it is. And so I think I just wish I asked more questions and sought out education on the topic because um, I think we'd be in a much different place. I don't regret where we are at 35, but it'd be very cool to have a different trajectory and just have learned some of this information a little earlier. And okay. I think, I think for me, the advice I'd give my 20 year old self would be uh, assuming my 20 year old self was interested in real estate um, would be to put myself in the right environment. You know, I did have an amazing run in my twenties. I had a ton of fun. I don't have any regrets about it, but to Kim's point, you know, I think had I made a couple different changes, we'd be even further along in our real estate investing journey. And I'm still grateful that I'm only 35. And I say that because it's like better than 15 years from now, just starting <laughs> out where we are. But, you know, you are the sum of the five people that you spend time with. And I think we're, we're, we're very, very careful with who we spend time with, how we spend that time and what we're, what we're like really doing. And so I've, I think I would have taken a closer eye because I think my 20-year-old self would have really benefited from hanging out with 35-year-old Dave and Kim. Uh, again, no regrets, but I now really recognize the importance of the environment that you put yourself in can really help you slingshot forward. Totally agree with that. And similar question, but a little bit different. So what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today in 2023? Almost said 22. It's the end of 2023. And I almost said the wrong year in the wrong direction. My two bits of advice here are one, get clear on your goals. I think asking why you want to do that is really critical and will dictate your next steps. And then the other one would be take action. I think that a lot of people think about doing this, think about going on that open house, think about getting a pre-approval or think about looking into what potential financing options they have, but don't do it. And even action could be going to get education. But I'd say don't just do that to hold you up and then not take action with the education. So that's, I think, that what really separates uh, the 99% from the 1%. Yeah. I, I think investing in education, I'd say the ROI and the education that we've purchased and invested our time and money into is still like infinite. And I think the other piece of that is um, take like one action a day. I think so many people get tripped up, overwhelmed, and then stop. And if I look back you know, at least for me, the last five years, there's been at least one call made every day. There's been at least one step. There's like some action is being toward towards our collective goals. And it's a lot easier now to look back five years later and say, I've taken thousands of steps, but that can be really overwhelming. And you just got to start getting quick wins. And most of those quick wins don't cost any money. So. Okay. And last question. What is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? All right. Uh, I'm going to get the cliche one over with. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad was eye-opening for us <laughs> four years ago when we read it. But um, most recently... I love the books by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. So those are Who Not How, 
the gap and the gain and 10x is easier than 2x. Those have been the most mind-blowing books for me in the last two years. I read a lot. And I think those were, it was the first time some of these concepts were introduced to me and they really changed how I thought about everything. I have two. I have a business and a, and a short-term rental hospitality one. The business one is uh, playing off Kim, 10x is easier than 2x. You know, from a business perspective, it is really going to show you the path to get out of a solopreneur and become a business owner. And I think that that changed my mindset a lot and allowed me to make some really strategic decisions that make it so we can be on this podcast and not have to be checking a million things while we're doing it. The hospitality book is um, Unreasonable Hospitality. That just that just like struck a chord in the best way. And I listened to it twice back to back right away. And there's just so much to take out of that. I won't go too deep into detail, but if you're in the hospitality industry, you're almost doing a disservice to your guests if you haven't listened or read read that book. That's a great one. And it definitely opened my eyes too, in a lot of ways. That's a great one. Um, yeah. All right. Well, cool guys. Thank you so much for coming on. And if our listeners want to follow you, where can they do that? So we ha each have our own um, Instagram handles. So I'm Kim Menapace, Dave's Menapace Real Estate. And then we're going to be more active on the Five Star Co-host um, account. So that's for our business, our co-hosting business. So check us out there. And then that links to all the other places that we're at. So. Yeah. And our website is just uh, five, like the number five, strcohost.com. You can just reach out to us through there. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Avery. Yep. Thanks for having us.